Shift is brought to you by Continental. As one of the world's leading mobility suppliers, Continental is developing intelligent solutions to make driving safer, more efficient, and more connected. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Shift, a podcast about mobility. I'm your host, Pete Bigelow. Hi, everybody. This is Leslie Allen. Joining us on the podcast today, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer and Chief Mobility Officer Trevor Paul discuss the state of mobility in Michigan. But first, Leslie, a lot of news this week to discuss. A lot of it involves former guests on the Shift podcast. Uh, A lot going on. Where do you want to start? Well, it makes you wonder, I mean, are people in high places listening to this podcast? I mean, we had a a big uh, merger announcement, um, well, actually an acquisition announcement, I should be more accurate about that, involving two of our former guests. So let's uh, let's hear more about that. That's right. Uh, We've had Ouster LiDAR CEO Angus Pakala and Sense Photonics uh, LiDAR CEO Shauna McIntyre on, I think, in the last five or six weeks. And uh, exactly. we just heard that Ouster is buying Sense Photonics, uh, which is an interesting deal. It's funny, you know, when we talked to Shauna, uh, I almost was, was thinking as she was talking that their technology, their digital LiDAR technology sounded a lot like uh, what Ouster in particular did out of all these LiDAR companies. So, you know, maybe I should have asked her more, more plainly about uh, how, how Sense complements Ouster, because clearly there is a deal in the works, and uh, that was an interesting thing to see this week. Yeah, you could have had some breaking news right there on the show. What's, uh, what's really interesting is that you remember when Angus Bacala was talking about um, how there's going to be all of this consolidation going on in the LiDAR industry? Little did we know that he was going to be a big part of that consolidation by um, going for a company that we were going to feature just weeks later. That's right. That's right. I think that uh, perhaps he knew in the back of his mind that uh, that something was already in the works. And, you know, as, as he referenced, so I would not be surprised to see more consolidation uh, among the dozens of LiDAR companies. Uh, I don't know if we'll get down to three or five, like he said, but but clearly the number is going to go down and not up. Yeah, it's just a case of go big or go home, I suppose. Now, another one of our former guests, of course, was Jennifer Hammondy who has been named the uh, head of the NTSB. As I understand, uh, NTSB is making some uh, major moves right now. Yeah, they really are. And I think uh, she has hit the ground running uh, in terms of rolling out this vision of, of a safe system approach that, that is kind of a fundamental rethink of traffic safety. You know, we've had this, uh, this number of traffic deaths that's in the 30 to 40,000s that you know, despite a lot of good efforts, doesn't really seem to go down. And, and I, I think her overall thrust has been, let's stop blaming drivers or, or only drivers. Let's look at the systems that have created these roads that, uh, you know, that really encompass everything from road safety to how automakers are rolling uh, new technology into cars for better or worse. Uh, but it really is an interesting kind of return to square one in, in saying, uh, what we're doing is not working. Let's let's do a fundamental rethink on on traffic safety. So uh, NTSB is having an ongoing series of of seminars exploring that topic. There was another really interesting one uh, just this past week, and I, I believe there are more to come. So we'll we'll stay tuned on that. 
Yeah, certainly something has to be done. I mean, what was uh, really uh, um, a stark fact was that even during the height of the pandemic, when there were fewer people on the roads, we saw, you know, these fatalities and these these uh, accidents continue to to rise. And so, um, definitely, a more holistic approach might be um, called for right now. On a more positive note, we're seeing um, a lot of changes in the auto industry when it comes to electrification. And one of the biggest places where this electrification movement is taking root is, of course, Michigan. So um, that's something that our guest today, Governor Gretchen Whitmer and Chief Mobility Officer Trevor Paul, are going to tell us about. You're absolutely right, Leslie. Uh, just within the last week or two, the governor has announced a uh, Uh, quite a few initiatives related to deploying electric vehicles, ensuring that electrification uh, and battery technology are are key technologies that bring jobs to Michigan. Uh, So maybe without further ado, why don't we go to first our conversation with Gretchen Whitmer, governor of Michigan, uh, and that will be followed by a separate conversation with Chief Mobility Officer Trevor Paul. Governor Whitmer, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's great to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be with you. Uh, You were at an event uh, last week with President Biden uh, right here in Howell, Michigan. Uh, I was wondering maybe if we kick this off, can you describe the event for us and our listeners? And maybe bigger picture question, of all the places that President Biden could have gone to, uh, you know, tout his infrastructure bill, his infrastructure agenda, why Michigan? Well, I think the whole world thinks about Michigan when they think about infrastructure and advanced mobility. Uh, Certainly, we put the world on wheels, and we are still leading in that space. But like every other state in the nation, we have underinvested in maintaining infrastructure and supporting infrastructure that will actually um, foster and support advanced mobility. And so we were glad to have him. He came to an operating engineer's site where they are training uh, people with advanced skills so that they can build out the infrastructure to support all of these goals that we all share. This is a homeland security issue as much as it is a day-to-day safety issue, as much as it is an economic issue for our nation. And we were really happy to host him. You reminded us via a tweet yesterday that that you are the Fix the Damn Roads governor. And I'm curious, uh, how is Fixing the Roads going overall? And And what would the president's infrastructure plan do in terms of of helping to solve that very basic yet important problem? So here in Michigan, we've been working to fix our damn roads. And I didn't run on that slogan because it was poll tested. It's just how people across the state talk about our roads. And a lot of my colleagues were kind of thinking that that maybe was a little too colorful back in 2018. And how the world has changed, they're all using the same phraseology to talk about our infrastructure. We have moved forward on a bonding plan that I had to do unilaterally, um, and we're putting $3.5 billion into rebuilding Michigan's roads and bridges and water infrastructure. This is um, an, an important moment where we as a nation really have to address this. And that's why I'm proud of what we're doing at the state level, but we certainly need a more comprehensive fix for the you know federal roads and interchanges, and I think that infrastructure packages the president has um, promoted this Build Back Better is really crucial for our country, and I think it'll really aid our ability to meet the needs of people in Michigan. 
Governor Whitmer, of course, um, electrification is a major part of infrastructure planning, both on a national and a state level. Now, in 2020, you set up the Office of Future Mobility and Electrification. So what is a state's role in readying automakers, utility companies, and consumers for electric vehicles? I think we have to lead. Um, you know, this is, we're proud of our, our history here in Michigan. We're proud of, to be the home of the big three and so many incredible union jobs that created the middle class in this country. Uh, but it is important that we continue to maintain our pole position in that regard. And that means having a um, infrastructure that supports advanced mobility. It means smart roads. It means connected roads. It also means investing in offices like the one that Trevor Paul is leading for us so that we are always focused on how do we make Michigan more competitive. And it's also about doing things that um, are, are going to change the industry going forward, like the Lake Michigan EV circuit, where I've worked with my fellow governors to ensure that we've got a continuous loop around Lake Michigan, highlighting the work we're doing with Indiana and Illinois and Wisconsin and Minnesota. This is um, an important space for us to be creative and to be partners with industry, but also to push. We want to make sure that our incredible workforce has got the skills they need as the industry changes. And that's why we've created a skills academy program called MIREV, my Rev, uh, to ensure Michigan workers have access to opportunity and jobs of the future. And the Michigan Mobility Funding Platform, which is um, you know, almost half a million dollars that we are investing in small businesses across Michigan that are focusing on alleviating barriers to accessibility and adoption of EVs. So all of these, I think, are really important components of making sure that the United States is leading in this space. And certainly um, Michigan intends to stay at the forefront of that leadership. Some of your fellow governors um, are taking much more, some would say, extreme measures for example, in California, Governor Newsom has signed an executive order requiring that all new cars sold in the state be zero emission by 2035. There's a similar move afoot in Washington state. So will you look at anything like that and to some way phase out ICE vehicles uh, to meet climate goals? I think our approach is really focused on supporting um, the, the advanced technology and making sure that consumers don't have range anxiety as we build out our infrastructure. Mandating the purchase and the sale is one tactic, but another that I think is really important is to support the network that is going to um, make it easier for people to adopt these, these new vehicles. And so that's really been the tech that we're taking. We're working with industry, I think it's important that we solve these problems together because not one of us uh, alone is going to be able to do that. And that's why we don't just partner with industry, we partner with our neighboring states because the, the solutions can't just be borne by one state or another. We have to embrace those together. Governor Wimmer, can you tell us more about that regional collaboration and, and do you foresee more of that? Why is it so important to work with with nearby states. Uh, and then, you know, you mentioned that flurry of uh, initiatives you've launched recently. Uh, second part of that question would be, uh, there's a big initiative within the states to put EV chargers in at kind of key destinations. Uh, how does that help boost the economy here? 
Well, you know, I, I do think that in the last two years, we have all come to appreciate why it's so important that we work together wherever we can. And I will tell you that um, I have developed very strong relationships with my neighboring governors. So we've all been confronting COVID and it has been a bipartisan effort here in the Midwest. Proud of that. I know it's made all of us better and more people safer. And I think that spirit of collaboration has to transcend just the healthcare crisis or the health crisis into uh, how we make sure that we are um, solving longer term problems in this country. And so I'm grateful that uh, my fellow governors and I were able to really forge ahead in, in this space, creating an infrastructure that will highlight the Great Lakes, which of course is 20% of the world's fresh water. It's an asset that only we boast and it's something we want people to know about, but we want people to be able to recreate, to travel, to be able to enjoy this in a, in a sustainable way. And that's why building out this infrastructure in a collaborative way is so important. We solve problems. Uh, we have a great high quality of life. We've got a low cost of living, and this is an important way to highlight all of those aspects of what what our, our mentality and our ethos is here in Michigan. It's interesting that you focus on state parks in particular. Is that is there a particular consumer that you are uh, attempting to reach out to with with that initiative or putting EV chargers in at at certain locations versus others and um, you know, how do you go about determining that? Well, we think that working with our state park system, it makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. Number one, we, <laughs> we operate them. So we, we know that we can do this. Um, we've got a great visionary, um, both obviously in Trevor Paul, but also in our DNR head. We are, we know that in a world where it seems like we're so divided on so many issues, Overwhelmingly, we support our our national parks, our state parks, our places of recreation. And in the midst of COVID, those were safe spaces that many people were able to enjoy. And that's what we want to continue to promote, getting outside and getting there in a way that is um, not contributing to to climate change and being able to enjoy it and charge up while you're there, uh, recharging your soul. So I think that this is um, something that made a lot of sense for us as we want to get people out and about, but doing so in a smart way that um, promotes uh, all sorts of, of healthy benefits. Governor, I know that the uh, workforce is a major part of this, and um, there have been some programs announced um, to help automakers um, and auto workers access the training and education that they need to move into this electric vehicle era. So can you tell us a little bit about what the state is doing and, and why when it comes to the workforce for EVs? Well, we know that traditional auto jobs uh, really were what created the middle class in America. And every one of us has benefited from it, whether or not we are in a traditional auto job or not. Uh, but the industry is changing and their needs are changing as well. And what we don't want is for our incredible workforce to be left behind. And that's why it's so important that we continue to hone our skills as we transition to draw people into these fields. It was a great opportunity with the president last week to highlight some of the um, workforce opportunities in as we rebuild infrastructure, but certainly as we build the vehicles of the future, uh, ensuring that we've got the workforce with the skills. Michigan is blessed with a high concentration of that and incredible uh, places of higher education. 
but this is something that we have to evolve and, and we're going to be at the forefront of that. And that's why these investments are, are so important, working with industry to uh, advance our skills as we advance our technology. I know our, our time is running short. Um, there was a major announcement, obviously, recently with Ford making a $7 billion investment for manufacturing facilities in Kentucky and Tennessee. You were quoted as saying that the state lacked a real opportunity to place a competitive bid. So can you uh, take us a little bit behind the scenes on that and how that happened and what's going to happen going forward uh, with these types of proposals? Well, I'll say, first of all, you know, we've announced 15,000 jobs in Michigan the last couple of years in advanced mobility. Ford, GM, and Stellantis have made uh, huge investments in Michigan, and we are um, continue to lead in this space. We do need, I think, um, as, a, as a state leader, additional tools so that we can prepare sites. That is something that um, we have not traditionally had as many tools as other states, and that's why we're going to press forward to make sure that people know Michigan is open for business. We offer something that no one, no other state in the nation offers, no other place on the planet does. And we need to be able to tell our story and have sites prepared. And so all those tools are really important. And that's, that's, that's what, I, what I was highlighting. You know, we think about unprecedented investments that have happened here in Michigan around future mobility of, you know, companies like Rivian and Magna and XL Fleet. They're investing here in Michigan because of the concentration of OEMs and suppliers and workforce. That's what we have to boast. And um, I think if we add a few more tools in our toolbox, uh, our story will be even more compelling than it already is. Governor Whitmer, one more question for you. Um, you know, we've been talking fundamentally about cars, and I'm curious if uh, if Michigan's efforts to uh, nurture new businesses. Uh, grow older, more mature businesses. Is mobility just around about cars or do you see some of these new technologies spilling into other modes of transportation that that Michigan from an economic perspective can capitalize on? I do. I think that the um, the potential is incredible here, actually. And that's why we talk about mobility um, as opposed to automotive. This is, um, I think, a moment in history where we have to continue to push the envelope and we have to continue to be creative and challenge one another. And certainly we are doing our part here in Michigan. We have announced that we are going to develop the first uh, road where you can be driving along it and charging your vehicle at the same time. We have autonomous parking structure that we are working with the Detroit Mobility Lab. There are a lot of uh, innovations that are going to be coming out of the state of Michigan in traditional uh, automotive space, but in all other forms of mobility as well. Great. Governor Whitmer, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Our thanks to Governor Whitmer. We'll be back with a conversation with Chief Mobility Officer Trevor Paul right after this. Every year, about 36,000 lives are lost on U.S. roadways. Continental is working to reduce that number to zero through advanced safety technologies that are available right now. Nearly 10,000 lives could be saved every year, and 1.1 million injuries could be prevented if currently available safety technologies existed on every vehicle. The technology is already here to help you get safely there. From lane departure warning systems to emergency brake assist, today's advanced driver assistance systems provide the building blocks for the automated driving of the future. 
Continental is using its full innovative prowess to drive this trend and develop intelligent technologies that assist the driver in critical situations. The advantage? Increased safety, more convenience, and greater efficiency. Continental's commitment to the long-term strategy of Vision Zero, zero fatalities, zero injuries, and zero crashes, will continue to drive developments in safety technologies, making safety available to everyone. This means working on new systems that improve vehicle safety across all vehicle classes. With Vision Zero in mind, Continental is continuously innovating solutions that contribute to greater road safety in and outside the vehicle. From sensors, control units, and motion control solutions to human-machine interface technology, intelligent infrastructure solutions, and software, Continental masters the building blocks of automated driving and connectivity, leading the way to fully automated vehicles and a safer world. No matter your destination, advanced safety technology can help you get safely there. For more, visit Continental.com. Now to our conversation with Michigan Chief Mobility Officer, Trevor Paul. Trevor, welcome back to the Shift Podcast. Good to have you on again. It's good to be back. How's everybody doing? We are doing uh, quite well here in Southeast Michigan, uh, where Leslie and I are. Where are you today? Detroit. Downtown, Rush Park, live and local. Well, we could have met at Rush Park and done this interview. We could have. We could sit on my patio. There's a lot of birds, though. I don't think it would have helped with sound quality. You know, it's like I live in a nest. Okay. Leslie and I, I think, would take birds over leaf blowers and... <laughs> yeah, and right. Right. Well, let's pick this up where we left off with Governor Whitmer. Uh, is Michigan's future, in terms of mobility, in terms of jobs... Uh, is it tied to automotive, or do you see transportation technology like automated systems, batteries? Yeah. Uh, does that all spread to other modes of transportation? Yeah, so of course, yes. The answer is simple, yes. Our future is very much tied to the future of the automotive industry. However, we can leverage that automotive advantage to influence other modes of transportation, maybe more in history than we've ever had a chance to do, given the uh, competitive advantages we've already built up in like autonomous, connected, shared, and electric. Like when you hear those terms locally, you think vehicle. Like that's how you describe a vehicle. But the truth is autonomous, connected, shared, and electric. I mean, these are things that every industry from consumer goods, aerospace, healthcare, I mean, they're also thinking about those things and, and how those things will influence. Um, you know, I mean, the truth is battery electric is, is the way of the future. We think it's going to solve climate change. It's going to reinvent the automotive industry, but there are fundamentally less parts an electric vehicle. There's less content. So there's going to be displacement. And I think our goal in in sort of minimizing that displacement is to ensure that we're properly diversified in multimodal transportation, multimodal R&D, you know, multimodal production, multimodal assembly. How can we leverage our automotive advantage to to win on trucking, win on, you know, rail, win win on aerial mobility? All these things may seem small right now, but you may be not thinking that way in 2030 because, I mean, the trend lines are, are sharply moving upwards. I want to ask you about the mode that you just did not cover uh, at the very end there. A lot of people obviously think of Michigan for automotive, as you mentioned. Uh, perhaps if you're not from here, you don't realize how much traffic uh, goes on the rivers and Great Lakes. Maritime. Yes. yes. So how, how is automated, uh, electric, it's connected. How is Michigan looking at, at those for maritime applications? What are you doing in particular to, to kind of push that forward? Yeah, sure. So um, 
battery electric's not gonna work for everything. It's gonna work for a lot of things. It's not gonna work for everything. And, and large freighters and, and large uh, maritime uh, vehicles, it, it, maybe the technology isn't there yet. And so one of the things we've tried to do is, is plant assets in the state that allow us um, both to deploy or try some new technologies, but also set the stage for future founders of, of great maritime technology companies. Um, but then also the supply base that we're going to need to be a competitor. We, we've tried to plant these different things. And, uh, you know, one of the, the uh, groups that I'm, I'm really watching and we tried to support is the, the work that's being done up in the Upper Peninsula, the Great Lakes Research Center. Um, and then there's some really interesting things around West, like West Michigan, the Muskegon area, the Port of Muskegon. Like, how can we not necessarily, I mean, to me, it's like, how do we look at what we're already doing and make it smarter and make it greener? Like, I'm not looking to get a bunch of new, like, Great Lakes uh, maritime traffic as much as I'm looking at the traffic we currently have and how we can begin to integrate that a bit more, especially because we have two of the top three border crossings in, in North America, um, or at least between U.S. and Canada. And, you know, there are certain bottlenecks in Detroit and there's a lack of infrastructure in Port Huron, where I think, you know, when you think about maritime, when you think about rail, when you think about you know, going over the bridge or through the tunnel. I mean, it all fits together. We need to take a systems level approach. And by leaving out maritime, we're leaving out a part of that system. So that is an important one. So Trevor, let's look a little further north and a little further up, if you will. Now, Traverse City, Michigan uh, hosted the North American Space Summit um, about two months ago. So we're hearing bits and pieces about Michigan being a good location to launch low Earth orbit satellites. So how might aerospace add a new component to Michigan's economy? Yeah. Wow. You guys are really like, we're spanning it today. Um, Okay. Let's talk space. I'm going to take my swim trunks off and put my astronaut hat on. Uh, So look, I think that as it relates to satellites and um, real-time digital mapping, it's critical that we begin to blend uh, the mobility technology that we're seeing for space with what we're seeing on land. Um, Michigan, because of some of the airspace that we do have in Northern Michigan and across the Great Lakes, has been looked at, looked at by some of the world's great new satellite companies. I've been in those meetings. However, we have an international border and there are certain restrictions and there's mass amounts of investment too that need to be made by both the public and private sector. Do I think it is a environment that is rich in resources? If we, if we sort of make sure that as you look at what, um, is it Ames, NASA Ames out in San Francisco is doing and the different startup and even venture activity that's happening out there. That seems to be the place where a lot of the space activity um, is originating. If we can keep close tabs on what's happening there and say, hey, can you augment the work you're already doing outside of Oakland or maybe somewhere down south, even though you're based in San Francisco, how can Michigan be part of that blueprint? I don't think we're going to own the industry, but I think we can own pieces of it over time if we stay at the table and we create policies, much like we did with autonomous vehicles back in 2016 that can invite industry uh, as, as long as we can keep sort of state and federal lines of communication open as it relates to space, um, which I know the University of Michigan does a great job of that. Talking to they had the NASA administrator 
uh, here recently, the old one recently, like they, they do a nice job of that. And so making sure that we're rallying our resources and keeping those lines of communication open, and I think that eventually will create some organic growth. So um, including your space helmet, um, you yeah. seem to wear a lot of hats. Um, let's just go back for a moment. Now you're the chief mobility officer for the state. So can you uh, walk us through what your job entails? <laughs> Chasing cats, putting out fires, uh, a lot of I-96. I see a lot of I-96. Um, so really, I think it boils down to two things. Uh, my job and my team's job is to create responsive policy, policy that creates favorable regulatory environments, uh, responsible regulatory environments and rights of way to roll out good technology that can impact lives in Michigan while also growing our industry. A lot of times in the past, we looked at industry growth and economic development separate from community development and how the technology is used in our state. You can't do that anymore. Like the community vitality and industry growth are two sides of the same coin. You need both to create places we all wanna be a part of. Um, so uh, the other half of that is dynamic programming. So stitching together public-private partnerships. And um, we try to do that. We, you know, the, the uh, Troy Tan Arbor Autonomous Vehicle Corridor is an example of, of that work that our team was a part of. And, you know, you see what we're doing now with the, the Detroit Smart Parking Lab, which is a first of its kind asset in the city of Detroit, focus on the future of parking, where it was like Bosch, Ford, and Bedrock wanted to do something. And then we're like, we do too. Let's get together. So American Center for Mobility is at the table on that. Enterprise Rent-A-Car is at the table on that. And, um, you know, we have some other plans for sort of lab-based uh, assets going forward that... Um, I think are good examples of what a public-private partnership can do. Because at the end of the day, where companies test, they invest. Where companies invest, they test. It's all part of the same. You can't decouple traditional job creation and some of this new R&D innovative type asset building because it's the way of the future. When you talk about creating jobs and, and also seeing how these technologies are being used by consumers and, and kind of integrating that into communities. Can you elaborate on what Governor Whitmer was talking about with the creation of, um, you know, deploying chargers in national, in national parks or lakeshores, in state parks and campgrounds? Yeah. How, does, how does that not only, uh, you know, create jobs from a technology perspective and yeah. a business perspective, but foster tourism and economic development? How does that all, all kind of bridge together? Yeah. So, um, you know, ecotourism has been a thing since like the 1980s. Um, you know, usually it's around a resort. It's, it's your destination is eco-friendly, but everything in between typically is not. And so what we're saying, our thesis is, why can't it be? Like, why can't the, the way to your end destination also be eco-friendly? And why can't it be something that um, is more baked into a lifestyle? Uh, you know, we all have visions in our head of what the, the 20th century version of the American road trip looks like. I think what the governor is contending is that there can be a 21st century version that is cleaner and greener and just as enjoyable as it relates to, uh, as it relates to jobs and jobs impact. When you think mobility, think Southeast Michigan, a lot of times think Detroit, but truth is mobility impacts the entire state from Traverse city to, uh, and Muskegon, I said Muskegon, right? But even some like, like Buffalo and 
and all those different small towns that rely very much on tourism. Um, we believe that equipping them with the tools that the future of mobility demands will help the local economy in a sense that the people that typically visit those places will not have as much range anxiety. Like how many times you're, I don't want to buy an EV. I don't know if I can drive it up north, which they probably don't at this point. There's a lot of inconsistency there. So our job, we feel, is to eliminate some of that inconsistency. And frankly, government should be the, the, the equitable rollout of charging infrastructure partner. Like there's, there should be bets that we make that aren't 100% based on return the first year and um, aren't maybe the most popular places to put a charger. But at the same time, if we don't do it, no one will. And if we're just basing chargers off of how we, you know, profit maximization or even, you know, how many cars are on the road at a given point, we're going to create a world of haves and have nots. So we're trying to be as equitable as possible. We're actually working with Michigan State University and the Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy on an optimization map to make sure that all corners of the state, you know, we can look back to 2030 and say, wow, that, that's how you build a worry-free statewide DC fast charger network. And I think it does start with signature routes, routes that set the tone. And that's what this Lake Michigan electric vehicle circuit is trying to do. Would I love it to be a loop? Yeah. Are we talking to some of those states about it? Yeah. And that's why we, you know, we have this five-state MOU we just announced uh, last week that allows those conversations to happen earlier and, and a bit more easily. So exactly how much work, uh, maybe you can't answer that at this point, but how much work has to be done, let's say from a utility perspective, to really create this charging infrastructure yeah. that, that we need? It? Yeah, a lot, a lot. So the, the circuit itself, it's going to have multiple phases. Um, and it's going to start with, you know, feasibility assessments, think of things like the energy considerations per site, um, the, the use cases, the edge cases, if you will, the, the partners, the local partners. The last thing we want is the state to come on in and just throw a bunch of charges down without talking to the locals. And then the financing models for all. Um, you know, we, there's, there's different demands on a, on, a, on a grid and on a charger during the peak summer months versus the winter months. Um, in, in some cases, you know, we're going to have to rely on some solar options. We're going to have to rely on some energy storage options. Um, it's going to be tricky. So we're going to spend the next couple of months thinking about that and getting answers there. And then begin to roll out, um, the hard work begins, begin to roll out these charger serving segments. Um, and the, again, the Charge Up Michigan program, which is run by the Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy is going to be running. They have the baton now. They're going to be running, running at this. And ideally next summer, we'll be able to say like, hey, you know, parts of this segment are built out and here's what's coming next. That, that's really the goal. Trevor, I want to loop back to something you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation. Uh, and it's uh, from a jobs perspective, uh, you know, in, internal combustion engine has so many more parts than, uh, you know, an electric vehicle. No. Is, there, is there concern, particularly for the jobs uh, related to our supply base, that it's EVs proliferate, that, that jobs, uh, th there's fewer jobs to be gained uh, than there are jobs to be lost? And, and how do you kind of address that? Yeah. I think the Center for Automotive Research uh, did, did some work that showed about 300 uh, automotive suppliers, most of them in the Detroit area, the Tri-County area, um, that are at risk with the, the transition from internal combustion engines to battery electric. And that's about 45,000 workers. And they had said that about 60% of those could be impacted in a negative way if there's not significant change. 
uh, either in their processes, their ability to win new kinds of work, uh, their, their workforce's ability to transition. Um, and so I, I think what we're trying to do, and uh, another initiative we just announced is the Michigan Electric Vehicle Jobs Academy, um, that ideally will take our repurpose existing assets in the state. So we're not like going to land a spaceship over all our, our, new, our current workforce development uh, assets and, and say, hold on, we're going to reorganize everything. That will take months and we don't have that. So what we're trying to do is, is with, with that announcement, first, find a convener to pull industry, universities, and anyone else at the table to understand where our gaps of coverage are with the workforce, and then design or co-create curriculum that, that fits. Whether you're a company in West Michigan that's an award-winning ICE part supplier that is now competing against your, your, your company's other locations for work whether that's in Alabama or Texas or Arizona or wherever, um, or you're a company that, that wants to locate in Michigan because you want to be close to an end customer, but need a customized uh, workforce training program. Like we want that academy model to fit both of those different, different avenues. And as it relates to the actual like positioning of, of sort of the line going forward and, you know, the parts and, and all of that, I mean, there are several local partners working on that from Automation Alley to to the Michigan Manufacturing Technology Center. The MEDC, Michigan Economic Development Corporation, has an Industry 4.0 program to begin to educate some of these small and mid-sized uh, companies as to what they need to do to compete in, in this new economy. Uh, just last week, uh, General Motors announced plans for a battery innovation center, yeah. as you well know. So it, it kind of raises the question about whether or not Michigan's future job base is going to be more blue-collar factory jobs or more white-collar R&D jobs? Why can't it be both? You need both. That's a full, diverse ecosystem. Um, you know, I, I, lo- I love, I mean, granted, it's, it's not, I mean, it's, it's a sizable investment. Granted, it's not like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's within the campus. It's not something that's going to transform a, a, the city of Warren, although I think you're going to see more people flocking there. But I mean, those are the types of announcement that, announcements that need to be mixed in with either battery plants announcements or, or other announcements focused on uh, manufacturing and assembly. So I, I thought it was really healthy. I, I thought it was great. I mean, and, and frankly, like great timing for an announcement like that. Um, and I think it shows that, you know, GM is still very, very, very committed to our community. They're very committed and they, and not because not they have to, because they want to be, because this, this is where you do the things that GM does globally. You need to start in a place like this to make that happen. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited about it. I mean, it's a huge building. So, I mean, and, and frankly, like if the goals are to, to humanize this product or democratize this product, this electric vehicle, by bringing some models under $20,000, 500, 600 miles range, I mean, I think anyone can get behind that. Like it's a really, really cool project. So when it comes to, I want to just stay on the job creation theme for just another minute. So when it comes to creating jobs, um, you know, we hear about, you know, what's going on at the auto companies, but how big a role will some adjacent industries, including utilities that are involved with building the infrastructure, how big a role will they play in job creation? Massive. Massive. I mean, I think there are the installation jobs and the technology is going to continue to change. Um, You know, I think. Stations are, are what we're doing now, but I mean, another thing that we recently announced was a 
the nation's first wireless dynamic wireless charging corridor where the vehicle actually charges uh, as it's driving. And so I, I think that utilities will have a hand in whatever mode we transfer energy from the environment to the vehicle. And I think more and more the utilities are going to be responsible for the, the data collection and categorization and responsible security of like all that intelligence to make our cities run better and make our states run better. So if anything, I see a diversification from um, the types of engineers that utilities are going to need. Um, and I think that goes for, you know, our supply base in general. I mean, uh, there's a unique opportunity here to not just capture vehicle business, but charging business and climate tech business. Cause all of this stuff ladders up to this idea that if we commit to battery electric, we will live in a better world and our kids will receive a better world when we're done with it. And so there's a larger ideal here that, um, I think if, it, if embraced by the auto industry, there'll be play, companies all over the world and people all over the world want to be a part of it. Trevor, there's been a, a flurry of announcements and developments, uh, that the Michigan Economic Development Corporation and you're trying to keep you on your toes. Well, you, you have, it's, it's hard to uh, keep pace with all the work you're doing these days. Uh, but you just mentioned the wireless charging uh, yeah. news and we have not covered that yet. Can you elaborate on, on what that is, where, where it's yeah. being deployed and, and kind yeah, of what sure. you hope to yeah. see out of that? So we announced it at Motorbella this year and uh, it's an RFP for a solution provider to, um, deploy technology in the road that, that will help, well, will charge any equipped vehicle that is on that road. Um, so it's essentially coils that are safe where you could ride a bike over it, walk over, you're fine. That are sort of in the road, but not deep in the road. It's going to scrape. So you don't have to tear up a road in order to put this stuff in, a whole road to put this stuff in. And our thinking is, I mean, the use cases are Pretty basic. If I'm a fleet operator, battery electric sounds great. It really does. Uh, low. I mean, you look at the F-150 Lightning, it's the lowest cost-owned pickup that Ford's ever, ever had. I think, I think that's right. Um, but I can't afford to have a vehicle sitting at a station for an hour or 20 minutes or whatever. I, I need my vehicles moving. So granted, one test bed is not going to get us to, to a across-the-board quicker fleet conversion to electric, but it, it is a signaling moment. It is something that advances our narrative as a leader. This is stuff Michigan should be doing. Um, but then I think it also, if it goes well, and we've gotten, um, I, I just, of all the things we've announced, I've been floored at the different types of companies that want to be a part of this. I think if we can get this right and begin to scale it and have certain stretches that allow for these B2B focused vehicles or transit vehicles even, to, to really find value on a month-by-month basis as they make their deliveries or drop people off, then people begin to see the business model and you can see it escalate. We're not just doing this for our local benefit. I think if we set the tone, this is something that like DC can embrace, other states can embrace. We're just trying to write the playbook because that's what we do. We wrote the playbook on the three-color traffic light. We wrote the playbook on lane markings. Like this is no different than that. You know, we've talked a good bit about what, what Ford and GM have been doing in terms of technology and jobs, and, and there are these two big multinational companies. Uh, so you just hit on an important uh, aspect that we've not covered. What is Michigan doing to, to attract startups, nurturing, to nurture startups, 
uh, and to get them to grow here? How does that uh, yeah. fit into the you know worldview that you just uh, you know mentioned yeah. about kind of exporting those technologies? Yeah. So Michigan is actually second to California in in mobility venture capital. So we're a leader already. Um, so this isn't a like a comeback story kind of thing. I think it's more doubling down on what we have. Um, you know, a couple of things that are unique here for any hardware-based startup in, in America, you know, short of going to Haitia right now, I mean, we're extremely cost competitive. We're extremely responsive. The fact that you can see your product, your parts being rolled off the line, I think is an advantage for a startup that is focused on hardware. And the other aspect is, you know, if I'm a startup, you know, the thing that's hardest to find is time. And so the fact that you have a state entity, our office, some of the work that Planet M used to do, that we have, we have a whole operation, a whole team that looks to connect startups to the 96, the top 100 global automotive suppliers here, just to make introductions. And we have part, local partners that are doing the same. So I would argue, and I challenge any other state that's listening right now, try to beat us in the time it takes to get a startup to a VP at an OEM or a Taiwan. So like that, I mean, that to us, if we can get that, that meeting four months sooner than anyone else, the chance that that startup gets that business goes up. And, you know, the third thing that I'd say beyond connectivity is we want, we want this technology to impact our infrastructure. And, you know, like, I, I believe that opening up our infrastructure and allowing some of these technologies to be shown, helping real people, whether it's helping with missed bus connections or, you know, helping find a more energy efficient route, there's nothing better for a startup than, than to show the next customer what they're already doing in Michigan. And so we, we very much want to be uh, the place where these companies write the playbook. We, you know, we, we we're responsible about it. We don't just want to put any technology in our infrastructure, but we'll have any conversation. If it works, we won't hesitate. Thinking about uh, what you just said, California is number one in, in mobility venture uh, startups, uh, Michigan number two. Do, do Silicon Valley and Michigan compete as, as you just kind of laid out? Are they complementary in some ways? Is it some mixture yeah. of both those things? Uh, what's, our, what's our relationship to Silicon Valley? Yeah. And I mean, mobility is not unique, right? I mean, like other industries have Silicon Valley one, two in, the, you know, in, that, in that category. Um, you know, I think we have a symbiotic relationship. I think it's very complimentary where, where their hardware prowess leaves off, ours picks up, where our software prowess leaves off, theirs picks up. Um, I don't often see companies just picking up entirely and moving to Silicon Valley. And we might be past that, in fact. Like that may be just be a thing that's done, that's old um, for any region. But what we often see is um, companies stay here maybe do something out in Silicon Valley and then bring that technology back or, you know, find an idea out there and then bring it back and build it here. Um, I, I mean, there's a lot of expats out there too, that we have no, we have no issue. And we take governors out there getting meetings with Michigan expats that are very high up in the tech industry who care. And so if anything, it's, it's sort of this town square of innovation that we love visiting. And we love partnering with, and it makes our region better by doing that. Well, uh, Trevor, it looks like we've um, run out of time here, but I wanted to ask you if you had any closing 
some thoughts about some of the more exciting mobility activities happening in Michigan? Mm -hmm. Wow, where to begin? Um, what haven't I mentioned yet? Uh, you know, I, I think the the work we're doing on road, the work we're doing with the workforce, uh, and the work we're doing in policy, it all is married together. You can't just do one. Um, it's all it's about the harmonization, the choreography of those things. And another thing that I really like that we're doing is focusing on micro mobility and accessible transportation, equitable transportation. Like the Kiwi Bot uh, deployment in Corktown, in partnership with Ford, the Knight Foundation, um, this, this robot delivery service for small business owners to get to sort of these hard to reach customers, um, deliver things like medicine, you know, food, uh, other things. I mean, we're just not thinking about mobility as it relates to like the road, the sky. I mean, I think it's about the sidewalks, it's about the curbs, it's about the corners. Um, and so I, I just, I guess the thing I'd leave you with is that. There's, there's no situation too small that, you know, we as the state can't help make a difference. And that, that's how our team looks at it. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you for uh, joining us today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, this is great. It's always great to talk to Trevor Paul. And of course, a great conversation with Governor Whitmer earlier in the show. So Pete, what's coming up next week? Next week, Leslie, we're going to uh, address a topic that I don't think we've done on the Shift podcast uh, yet. We'll be talking about mobility data and privacy. So I hope our listeners tune back in for that discussion. That is it for today. Uh, thank you, as always, to our producer, Eric Jones, and to everybody for, for tuning in. We'll be back next week.